The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by DXC Technology. Let us show you the way to your digital future. Thrive on change. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, March 11th. In today's news, confirmed cases of the coronavirus inside the United States top 1,000. The total number of cases worldwide crosses 120,000, including the UK health minister. And President Trump's desire to suspend the payroll tax runs into Republican opposition on Capitol Hill. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden seized control of the Democratic presidential contest last night with four victories, including a decisive win in Michigan that struck a devastating blow to Bernie Sanders. Biden also scored resounding wins in Mississippi, Missouri, and Idaho, while two other states, North Dakota and Washington, continue to count ballots and remain too close to call. The results showed further evidence of the powerful coalition that Biden has assembled to fuel his remarkable turnaround in the past few weeks, particularly black voters who form the backbone of the Democratic Party and the suburban women who helped drive record turnout for Democrats in the 2018 midterms. Biden has also been winning white voters without a college degree, an important constituency that Donald Trump successfully courted in 2016 and that favored Sanders over Hillary Clinton in the primaries that year. The former vice president even outperformed Sanders yesterday in some of Michigan's college towns like Ann Arbor. Democratic voters have demonstrated over the past week during interviews and exit polls and at the ballot box that they want to avoid the protracted primary battle of 2016 and quickly coalesce behind a nominee who can begin focusing on defeating Trump. A drumbeat has come from party operatives and officials that Biden is the putative nominee and that the fight for the nomination is concluding. It's unclear how fierce the fight will be going forward. Sanders decided not to make any public remarks last night following his disappointing finishes. The wins for Biden come as the coronavirus disrupts the contest. Biden and Sanders both canceled planned rallies last night in Cleveland, while Biden traveled to Philadelphia, where he gave post-election remarks at the National Constitution Center to staffers from his nearby campaign headquarters. Sanders flew home to Burlington, Vermont. The rally cancellations came after Ohio Governor Mike DeWine declared a state of emergency and requested that all indoor athletic events in the state take place without spectators. Ohio is one of four states voting next Tuesday, along with Florida, Illinois, and Arizona. The Biden campaign announced overnight that it is canceling a Thursday rally in Tampa. Instead, Biden will go to his hometown of Wilmington, Delaware, to deliver an address on the coronavirus. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a member of the squad who endorsed Sanders in the fall, said last night that, quote, there's no sugarcoating it. These results were tough for Sanders. Another former Biden rival, Andrew Yang, who supported Sanders back in 2016, endorsed Biden after the results came in last night. He said the math shows Biden will be the nominee. The past week has showcased how much the Sanders campaign remains an unruly coalition rather than a tight operation. Allies have voiced various conflicting theories of the case about what Bernie needs to do. Some close advisors say Sanders needs to show a more personal side. That's a recurring suggestion that he's repeatedly been reluctant or unable to embrace. The campaign also has experienced a push and pull over strategic decisions. 
For example, they debated intensely in recent days whether to release internal polling showing a competitive race with Biden in Michigan. In the end, they decided not to release any polling data, opting not to risk setting expectations and then falling short, which they would have. Sanders' efforts to improve his standing among black voters have also been especially awkward in recent days. When the campaign scrapped plans for Bernie to hold a rally in Mississippi so that he could spend more time in Michigan, it signaled to many Democrats that he was effectively giving up on black support in the South, which is a big deal because Georgia's primary is coming up in two weeks. Then he appeared on Saturday night in Flint, Michigan, at an event billed as a town hall on racial justice. Yet of the 1,200 attendees, only about three dozen were African-American. Then the senator decided at the last minute not to deliver his planned speech, contrasting his record with Biden's on racial justice issues, because a spokesman said he wanted to let the African-American panelists on stage speak about their own experiences. The effect was to suggest that Sanders continues to be uncomfortable delving personally into issues that affect the lives of black people. There are few game-changing opportunities left for Sanders. The candidates are scheduled to face off mano a mano in a two-hour debate on Sunday night in Phoenix, perhaps the last chance for a shift. The DNC said last night that that debate will go on, but there will be no live audience and no filing room or spin room for reporters. Bottom line, barring something unforeseen, Democrats now know that Biden will be their nominee. Biden and his team have their own work to do and less time than it might seem to get it done. Even if Sanders chooses to keep running far into the spring, the primaries don't wrap up until June and the convention is in July, Biden will have to begin to make a swift pivot toward the general with the goal of turning a campaign operation that has drawn criticism even from prominent supporters into a machine capable of waging a general election fight against the Trump forces. Biden won states last week on Super Tuesday where he had spent little or no money or time or held no rallies. He was winning because nearly two-thirds of Democrats appeared to be looking for a more moderate alternative to Sanders, and Biden was the last man standing. Sympathetic Democrats say the deficiencies in Biden's organization that contributed to his losses in Iowa and New Hampshire remain and cannot go unattended. Biden starts the campaign in the fall, many months behind the Trump campaign in identifying the voters who will make the difference in November and communicating directly to them. For the general, Biden will need to massively scale up his operation, sharpen his message, and reach beyond to voters who either shifted to Trump in 2016 or sat on the sidelines. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, five more deaths from the coronavirus were reported in the United States on Tuesday, including two in Washington State, one each in California, New Jersey, and South Dakota, bringing the total number of deaths in our country to 31. A growing list of at least 19 states have declared a state of emergency, including yesterday, Colorado, North Carolina, and Michigan, the latter of which reported its first two cases. The National Guard was deployed to New Rochelle, New York, to stem the spread of the virus. Governor Andrew Cuomo took the drastic step of creating what he called a containment zone with a one-mile radius of a suburb of the Big Apple after 104 residents tested positive. Students at the University of Dayton in Ohio clashed with police in riot gear overnight after they were ordered to leave campus because of virus fears, and apparently some of the students refused to go. Washington Governor Jay Inslee has ordered a restriction on any gathering of more than 250 people in the three counties that include Seattle and the areas around it. 
a meeting for managers at the Boston area biotech company Biogen late last month has now been linked to dozens of infections across the country. People who left the conference have spread the virus all over. More passengers are expected to disembark in the coming hours from the Grand Princess cruise ship, which is docked in Oakland, California. More than 1,400 people have now left the ship as of last night of the more than 3,000 who were on board. And shortages continue to cause serious problems. The nation's face mask stockpile has not been substantially replenished since 2009. The reserves were not significantly restored after that H1N1 pandemic that year. And CDC Director Robert Redfield says he is not confident that labs in the U.S. have an adequate stock of the supplies needed to extract genetic material from any virus in a patient's blood sample. That's a critical step in coronavirus testing. Number two, worldwide, there are now more than 80,000 cases in China and more than 10,000 in Italy. Both Iran and South Korea have about 8,000 confirmed cases. Other nations are suggesting they'll reach similar levels soon. China just announced an increase in cases of the virus that had been imported from outside the country, with one case apparently coming into China from the U.S. The U.K. health minister, Nadine Dorries, tested positive for the coronavirus yesterday afternoon. Overnight, the Bank of England announced that it will cut interest rates from 0.75% to 0.25%. That's a record low ever for Britain's central bank. Bahrain's Ministry of Health, meanwhile, says that of the 165 of its citizens just flown back from Iran, 77 of them tested positive for the virus. Number three, Trump went to the Capitol yesterday afternoon to discuss his ideas for economic stimulus with Senate Republicans. He's pushing to dramatically reduce the payroll tax through at least the end of the year. That plan would deliver a massive but expensive boost to many businesses and voters as he heads toward the November election. But his proposal was not warmly received by Republicans, and it was panned by Democrats, leaving policymakers searching for some common ground as the outbreak continues to take its toll on the economy. One area of consensus, though, could be around the issue of paid sick leave for employees, an idea Democrats support and which Trump has shown some interest in. But in the past, the two sides have taken very different approaches on sick leave, and it's not clear whether agreement can be reached this time. The payroll tax alone could reduce taxes by about $400 billion through the end of the year. But White House officials won't say whether they have any plans to offset those losses, which would cause the budget deficit, already about a trillion dollars, to grow by another 40%. One senator inside Tuesday's lunch meeting with Trump said the president also floated the idea of allowing Americans to delay filing their tax returns in April and providing stimulus to the travel industry. Remember, the president is in the hospitality business. In addition to large tax cuts, Trump also talked with GOP senators about what steps they could take to extend aid to oil and gas companies that are being hurt by a drop in oil prices. Providing federal assistance to oil companies would face steep resistance. The federal assistance would most likely take the form of low-interest government loans to shale companies whose lines of credit to major financial institutions have been choked off because of fears of an impending recession. Many economists oppose providing such direct assistance to companies rather than ensuring it goes to workers who are being hardest hit by the downturn. Top House Democrats, meanwhile, said they plan to move quickly on a relief package that narrowly targets individuals and families affected by the outbreak. Nancy Pelosi is planning to introduce legislation as early as today that would expand unemployment insurance, food stamps, and other public assistance programs, as well as allow for more sick and family leave. It could come up for a vote as soon as tomorrow. 
The Dow ended yesterday up more than 1,100 points on hopes by investors that policymakers will act quickly and find common ground to blunt the virus's impact. The S&P 500 and the tech-heavy Nasdaq finished with near 5% gains. Finally, let me wrap up today with some news you can use. Doctors are increasingly worrying that allergy sufferers will conflate their routine reactions to pollen, it's the spring after all, with coronavirus symptoms. They worry that people with allergies will overwhelm the already strained healthcare system with panicked visits. This is especially the case here in Washington, D.C., where pollen counts are already at moderate to high levels. Because of warmer temperatures, allergy season started in February this year instead of March, so D.C. area residents are already exhibiting symptoms. Data show that some people infected with the coronavirus experience similar symptoms as allergy sufferers, including coughing, nasal congestion, runny nose, and sore throat. But here is the key difference. Allergies, which are an overreaction of the immune system to foreign particles, should not trigger chills, body aches, or fevers. Those are the classic signs of a viral infection, such as the coronavirus. In addition, while patients with the coronavirus can have nasal congestion, it is actually not very common. The World Health Organization has found that only about 5% of the coronavirus patients in China had any nasal congestion, and only 14% of coronavirus patients had a sore throat. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, March 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Don't forget to wash your hands. I'll talk to you tomorrow.